I think that, you know, though there is nothing new in sales uh, in terms of what do you need to do to be successful? The stuff I've talked about here today is the same stuff that's been, the top performers have been doing for, for decades. And you need to find a way to bring those things into your daily world, your daily routine, your habits, so that you can do it. Are you a consulting business owner seeking a better way to scale to your next million in revenue? Accelerate Sales Podcast features other experts who have cracked the code to predictable revenues with proven sales systems that quickly increase revenue and get you on the fast track back to doing what you do best. Now let's accelerate your sales with today's episode. Welcome to the Accelerate Sales Podcast. It's your first time Welcome, and if you love what you hear, why not subscribe so you don't miss future shows? If you're a regular, really appreciate your support, and if you haven't, please leave an iTunes review. It means a lot to me. So you can take notes, but there is the opportunity to get uh, the key points in our notes, and also you can get the transcription as well. But if you want to take notes, please do, because there is lots of value in this one. And also, now and again, I'll look down and I'll, I'll take notes. It's the way that I sharpen those notes for you. So you're going to learn three key things from today. One is how to develop a decision criteria in sales. The second is who are the key decision makers in sales, and it's normally a lot more than you think. And also, you'll learn that pricing is not the number one reason why people buy or don't buy from you. So our guest today has had over 30 years of sales experience um, you might have heard of spin selling while well, he worked for that company for quite some time and just brings enormous value to you. He's also got a book called Premeditated Sales. And what I'll do now is hand you over to Steve Gilder from Ignite Selling. Welcome, Steve Gilder from Ignite Selling to the Accelerate Sales podcast. Great to have you here, Steve. Great to be here with you, Paul. Yeah, look, I've really enjoyed our conversations, but it's about time we share some of your wonderful secrets with the rest of the world. So why don't we kick off with um, who do you love to work with? Who, who are your ideal clients? You know, our ideal clients kind of fall into three categories. You know, it's uh, number one is probably uh, a client that has uh, is in a competitive marketplace uh, where they're, no, they're not the low-cost provider, uh, where value is required to have to be sold. Uh, maybe another criteria is the fact that they are um, in a uh, complex marketplace, meaning that there's multiple influencers have to be involved in the decision-making process. And um, maybe the, the third one is that um, uh, they're, they're trying to penetrate an existing market. You know, those are three areas to which, you know, clients that have strategic initiatives that they're really struggling with trying to figure out, how do I do this better? And those are kind of the customers that we really can make an impact. And we enjoy really measuring the output that we're, we're able to bring those clients. Great. So you've sort of talked about the, the, the key challenges, which is brilliant. Um, so what do you do for them? You know, what's, if you had to summarize how you help them solve those key challenges, mm-hmm. what do you do? You know, one of the things that we do with, with our clients is we sit down with them to begin to understand what are their goals. You know, those, those, those things are usually already established, but what's not often established are the strategies necessary to achieve those goals. And so when we ask them, you know, is, is it doing more of what you did last year is it about doing something different? And they'll often say, well, it's about doing something different. We'll say, well, terrific. 
what does that look like? And that's where the conversation begins. And that's because they haven't really given careful consideration to what does that really look like? So we help them establish the strategies that will help them achieve those sales goals. Then what we do is we have a dialogue that says, let's talk about the critical behaviors that you and your team need to be proficient in in order to execute those strategies. So here's a quick example. We did this recently with a client where they had one of their, one of their goals was to increase margins of the company by 7%. Well, if you understood what they're, they're they have very low margins and increasing 7% is huge. So we said, let's talk a little bit about how do you do that? And one of the strategies we came up with was I, we identified one of their products that carries the highest margin that they carry, uh, the highest margin of, of all their products is only being sold 10% of the time. So we said, well, one way to increase margins of the overall business, sell more of that. So we said, why isn't it being done today? And what has to be done in order to make it happen? So we developed a strategy that put that product into the hands of customers that they're already doing business with. And we showed that if we increase revenue of that product by 20 to 25%, they would, they would exceed their margin number. So we developed the strategy. Then we simply said, well, let's talk about the critical behaviors, the selling skills, or the communication skills that need to take place in order to help you and your team do a better job of doing what we just said needs to happen. And that's kind of how we begin our relationships with our clients. So it's before any training actually takes place. It's really about having a business dialogue to quantify the strategies that need to be executed in order to achieve your sales goals, then having a dialogue around the behaviors that need to be adapted, changed, or improved in order to execute those strategies. Yeah, and look, I know you've come from a, a corporate background and you know I come from Coca-Cola and you know it was uh, very much that way you know it was like yeah. well here's the strategy then you know what are the gaps so i assess people against those key gaps and then go implement and iterate so we used to do like a four-week cycle when we'd launch a product we would you know right. do the do the training then we'd bring people in and say okay what are the key objections etc what are you coming up with and there's a group we would solve those and then go back out so you constantly integrate iterated and improve but a lot of times that i talk to con, uh, consultants especially tech consultants and SaaS partners they're like well yeah i've got this objective but there's there's a gap right and you've you know that's what you help solve it's like it's great to have the goal but if you don't actually have the skills to achieve it you, you're not going to move the the needle and um you know um i've you know watched a lot of your webinars or, uh, and your youtube videos etc and you know i'm really interested in this um the simulations that you run to help not just say well look this is what i think the gap is but to actually have facts and proof by salesperson to say, well, this is the actual gap. So take us through a little bit about how you run those simulations, you know, a bit of the content yeah. and, um, and, and um, you know, how it works. Yeah, we, Paul, we run two different types of simulations. Uh, one set of simulations is called a content simulation. And in our content simulations, we're actually teaching skills. 
And they can be those fundamental skills about how do you ask better questions? How do you listen? How do you handle objections? How do you plan more strategically? How do you neutralize adversaries? Those kinds of things. Those are skills that people need sometimes in order to effectively execute those strategies we just talked about. The other types of simulations that are not content simulations, we call them capstone simulations. Now, frankly, capstone simulations are designed for a much larger organization. We're typically looking at companies that have greater than 50 salespeople because the cost of that simulation is a little bit on the higher side because of the development cost that's necessary. And we often find that smaller organizations, less than 50 people, really kind of uh, bristle and push back at that, at that cost point. And we just um, haven't created a way to, to meet that smaller market. What's so capstone, we, what does capstone mean, Steve? So capstone in our vernacular, what it really means is, is an is a overarching capstone learning experience that pulls together all the skills, the knowledge, the process, the tools that an organization has already implemented, and we replicate a real-world environment to where they can apply all of that stuff. So if they're selling uh, into products into a grocery food store, well, what we'll do is we'll replicate the key influence in buyers that have to be responsible for making the decision whether or not your product goes on the shelf. If you're selling a product in a hospital, well, in this particular case, we would replicate a hospital and, and, and bring in all the key influencers and the dynamics that goes into a hospital in terms of making that product available to the doctors and the nurses that might be in the hospital. But we, we, we design it from ground up. So every simulation, every capstone simulation is different. But the content simulations is where a bulk of our business really stems from. Yeah. And that's because the content simulations are these two to four hour little bite-sized learning simulations. And we call them simulations because it's all about application. It's not about learning new content or models through PowerPoint. In fact, there's no PowerPoint in any of our content simulations. The learning of the knowledge comes from an online learning module that you would go through prior to coming into the content simulation. So you'd spend 20 to 30 minutes on an online module, and then you are welcomed into either the virtual simulation, if we're going to do it virtually, or a live simulation, if we're going to do it live. And we, it's a full immersion experience. And we use what we call interactive learning maps. Um, an interactive learning map, Paul, is a, is a tool that we use or a modality we use to help drive the learning. So it's a big poster board for learning. And the simulation takes place on that poster board. So imagine a group of people, maybe six to 10 people uh, going through this simulation, and they would have maybe three or four of them around a table, and they are competing against the others that are in the room. So it's kind of a fun immersion type simulation to where they are learning new skills, some of those skills that I talked to you about, uh, in this kind of uh, competitive simulation-based environment. Yeah, and, and I think you've described it well, but you know, when I first spoke to you, and I'm sure you get this from other people as well, what's the difference between that and a role play as an example? And you yeah. know, I know a lot of I still don't know if they do role plays, but in uh oh, they do in sales, yeah. And uh, and often, you know, these days what I'll do is record a client's call. Or well, sorry, uh the the client and their perspective, they'll record that with permission, obviously, and then I can go back through that, right? So that's what I call a modern-day role play in a way. Right. But but 
you know, tell us the difference between a role play and, and what you're doing here from a content simulation. Yeah. Now, role plays are still done, and we think that there is a purpose and a need for role plays. In fact, one or one or two of our modules, we actually have classic role plays, okay? Uh, because we think role plays are good, particularly for people who are not used to selling, uh, to start having those words come out of their mouth on a more regular basis, whether it's the questions that they're asking or it's this, the product to which they have to describe and how they align it back to the customer's needs. So there's a need and an intent for role plays, but that's that's not really, when we're talking about a content simulation, it's not where the focus is. We believe that role plays are often rather rote. They're predictable, they're uh, prescribed, and uh, I have yet to see a, a sales team when I say, hey, we're getting ready to do some role plays, watch them jump up and down for joy. <laughs> so it's one of those dreadful things that people go, oh my gosh, I don't want to have to do another role play. So one of the things that we have done is we've kind of taken away that, that rote, um, predictable outcome. And when we're doing uh, our simulations, we look at simulations kind of in two different ways based upon the skills that you're providing. If it's a tactical skill, well, one of the things that we do is we provide opportunities for individuals to kind of pick and choose who they want to go engage. So in a lot of sales training, it says, okay, it's time to call Bob. Bob is the director of operations at blah, 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 blah. Here's a bio on Bob. Prepare for that call with Bob and go have a call with Bob. What we do is we kind of draw out who does Bob work for? Who are Bob's peers? What are Bob and Bob's peers concerned with? What are the metrics that Bob's company is trying to improve? We say, here's the scenario. Who do you want to contact? Yeah. And so that brings out a little bit of competitiveness to it because maybe one table group wants to go call Bob and then maybe another tool wants to go call Sally. Another team wants to go call Mike. And that's where we kind of begin that competition a little bit, but they still have to practice plan, planning for that conversation. And then they would go role play. And I, and I use that term because there would still be a customer conversation that takes place. Yes. But unlike a traditional role play, it's now done. It's over with. You debrief it, you celebrate your successes, you lick your wounds, and it's done and it's forgotten with. In our simulations, they continue, just like in real life. So if you manage to do well in that conversation with Mike or Bob or Sally, then you get to take that information with you and decide what do you do with it next. If you didn't go well, well, it's now time to figure out what do you do? You had a conversation with the customer, you didn't get the information that you wanted. Now you have to decide, do I go back and talk to that person and go back and try to get again, to try to get the information that I needed the first time, or do I go see somebody else? Well, now I don't have the information that I could have been prepared for with this next person because I really didn't do the good job in the first place. Yeah. So now, just like in real life, you have got to figure that out. Yeah, so, so in so our simulations, yeah, we so, kind of so, provide that. So what I'm sort of hearing from you is that, you know, an a la carte menu versus, a, you know, a fixed menu in a restaurant, so to speak. The role play is like a fixed menu. You know exactly, you know, what's on there. That's what you're going to get. So you play that role. With a la carte is, well, you actually you can choose and based on the different choices that you make can, you know, improve the sale or maybe detract from the sale. Is that sort of? Correct. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's exactly it from a tactical standpoint. So the other half of our Content simulations are really more about strategy. Yes. And th those are all the simulation activities that take place when you're not in front of the customer. So think about all the things that have to happen before you get in front of the customer. 
It is about thinking, is this the right customer? <laughs> um, is this, who am I speaking to? What does the landscape look like? And typically, these types of simulations are designed for customers that need help a little bit further down the pipeline. It's not about first call prospecting. It's about, hey, I've got my arms wrapped around a number of different people inside the account. I understand the metrics are trying to improve. I understand where our solutions can help. Now I need to kind of take a step back and, and think more strategically. Who are my advocates maybe that I need to leverage? Who's my adversaries? What's my strategy to neutralize those adversaries? What's the decision criteria? You talked about maybe a tool we call a competitive snapshot, but what's the decision criteria customers using? These are all the things that happen when you're not in front of the customer. And so our strategic simulations are all about putting salespeople into that realistic situation and simply saying, what would you do? And again, you have table group number one saying, hey, I think we need to go north. You got table number two going, I think going north is a kiss of death. I think we need to go west, you know, but this is where people learn to how to think more critically, more strategically. Yeah. And that's the other type of the simulations we provide. Yeah, look, and, um, you know, certainly you're bringing back a lot of my, you know, corporate experience doing the same thing. And one thing I used to always say to my sales team is, you know, the, the actual, the, the pitch, the end pitch is not where the sale happens. Right. That's just confirming all the work that you've done beforehand. And, you know, I like the way that you're, you know, doing that and you're doing that in a way that is, um, you know, fast tracked in, in a sense. And, and, and what, what are some of the, um, the, well, first question on that is like, is it made any difference with the amount of information that is freely online at the moment? So let's go with that one at the moment. Like, you know, is it easy to get access? To information than what it used to be uh, when you're doing these complex sales? I think for sure. I mean, I think any smart salesperson does some due diligence online using different websites and different types of services. Um, myself, when I'm going after customers, I will listen to um, a report, you know, a quarterly report. Um, you know, I'll read their 10Ks. I'll uh, I'll listen to you know a revenue call or a quarter or quarterly business call. Just try to figure out where they're going, uh, because if I know that they're getting ready to merge with another company or they're launching another product, I'm going to position my value differently. So I think that yes, access to information is critical. But I think that's just simply ticket to the dance. That's just kind of how you yeah. kind of demonstrate your value. I mean, if you're not doing that, you're probably behind the eight ball already. Um, what I think differentiates the top performers from the average performers in selling today is knowing what information don't you have, what information do you need to go find out, and then what do you do with it? Too often, uh, we're working with salespeople, and I'll say, hey, was this a successful meeting? They'll say, yes. I'll say, okay, based upon what criteria? And they'll tell me, I found this out, I found this out, and I found that out. Okay, terrific. When you found out who was involved in the decision-making process, what else could you have done with that information while we were there in this meeting? I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, could you have kind of found out which of those key influencers are really excited about what you're bringing to the table as opposed to maybe what your competitors bring to the table? Do you think we could have found that out or asked that question? Yeah, we could have. Okay, why didn't we? You know, I was really happy that you asked the question, what is the decision criteria that they're using to compare you against the competition? Nice job. But could you have asked the question, 
What's their perception of our ability to meet that criteria to compare to the competition? Would it have been good to know from this customer that you know, their perception of our customer service far is, is far less than what the competitor does? They think the competitor does supports customer service far better than you do. Could we have found that out simply by asking the question? You know, it's not about the information that you simply get. It's about what do you do with the information that you've been received? Yeah. So, and I think that's where, that's really what separates the top performers from the average performers today. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, so true. And you know, we used to have a, a sort of format, it used to be called the blue sheet. And we would yeah. go in and ask questions when people, people weren't expecting the question to be asked, so to speak. Uh, in a casual sense, and then that was like a jigsaw. You're sort of plugging the key bits of, and uh, I often, a lot of people say go, you know, um, uh, top down. Now, I was always a firm believer that if I could get someone that was chatty lower in the organisation, they were often the best person to get information from. Absolutely. Because they, you know, didn't know why you were asking those questions and not a lot of people shone the light on them. Right, yeah. so all of a sudden you're shining the light onto them, and they want to talk, and then you know they were talking to give you vital information, and ultimately is there to help the organisation, right? So some people say, well, isn't that a bit deceptive? I'm like, no, ultimately it's there to help that the client gets the best solution, right? That's exactly right. I think if you're not validating with multiple people the information that you get, you're you're missing out on opportunity. You know, one of the things that we find is. Um, when we're working with people strategically is um, they'll get the data from somebody to whom they assume is an advocate and has high influence. And maybe, you know, say that they have a title of a VP and they're willing to meet with them. So therefore the salesperson says, well, they're willing to meet with me. That means they're my advocate and they have a title of VP, which means they must be important. Yes. (laughs) And both of those things are very dangerous assumptions. Or maybe they're even using your product. So therefore, the assumption is they're an advocate. Well, we define an advocate very specifically. In other words, are they willing to go to bat for you? Yes. Or are they just using your product? Because if they're just using your product and they like it, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're an advocate. That just simply means that they like your product. You got to be careful how you would might use that person. So you have to really kind of test that level of advocacy. But I think testing that level of advocacy, testing your assumptions with the bottom folks that you talked about, some of the people that may still have influence in the decision, but have a lower influence and maybe the top five people and testing your understanding around the data that you receive. And it's simply asking, hey, is Paul really the, the top guy here who's going to be making this decision? Or is there somebody else that's going to be influencing Paul? Oh, no, it's not just Paul. I know he's the president, but no, it's not Paul. Really, the person driving Paul is so-and-so. Well, boy, that sure would be great information to have. Right. Yeah. And then the last question here is around price. I know that in a lot of communication, you say price is not always the most important thing. Right. So if price isn't the most important thing, you know, what often is the most important thing? <laughs> that is the magic question, isn't it? And a lot of the answer to that really depends upon the product to which you're selling. Um, we do a lot of postmortems, and postmortem is where we come into an account. Uh, a client asks us to go evaluate why they lost. And we go through a process, uh, the postmortem process, where we talk to the sales rep and we have their manager on the telephone and we go through a series of questions. And some of the questions start off with, so why'd you lose? 
And, you know, right now our research shows 92% of the time sales representatives say they, the reason they lost is because of price. In fact, one of the kind of working titles for the book that we're working on right now is, are you still blaming price? <laughs> but um, I don't think that's going to be the title of the book, but uh, it, it is a very common, common misunderstanding. Um, so what we do is we'll talk to the sales representative, we'll ask them some questions. They'll ask us, what is the, you know, why did they lose? They'll tell us they lost because of price. And then we'll ask them a follow-up question. Other than price, what were the other three or four decision criteria this customer was using to compare you against the competition? And you hear crickets, nothing. Yeah. You know, the best of the best, because they're their bosses on the phone, they'll start making it up. Oh, they'll say, oh, it was ease of use of our product. It was the technology, um, you know, um, um, enhancement capabilities. It's the customer service that we brought because their boss is on the phone. And then you simply ask the question, how do they rank that criteria in terms of most important to least important? Now you're stuck again. And even if they tell me, because their, their boss is on the phone and they don't want to come across looking silly, and we're not trying to make them look silly. We're simply just trying to help them really understand what do they know, what don't they know. They'll tell us what the criteria is, what the priority of that criteria is, and maybe what they, what they perceived um, the, them against the competition. Then I'll ask the question, whose criteria is that? Was it only one person making this decision? Or was it really more influence, just two or three people? And so therefore, whose criteria is this? So... To answer your question, we go back to the customer and we ask them, what was the criteria you were using to make this decision, that to, to do business with the competitor as opposed to my client? And price rarely falls in number one or number two. Yeah. Typically in the top four, no doubt, but it's not rarely number one or number two. And what often is number one or number two are those things to which help the customer achieve the metrics they're being held accountable to. So if it's not price, what is it? Well, what is the customer being held accountable to? What are the KPIs of that customer? Is it to improve customer satisfaction? Is it to improve uh, revenue of existing customers? Is it to penetrate uh, particular product sales at a higher level? Uh, what is it? What, are the, what is that client trying to improve? And if your product can help drive those metrics, make that company more successful, that's the criteria that's more important than price. Yeah, 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 brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And like I said, this echoes a lot of the sales and the training that uh, we had, which, you know, could be called yeah. one of the, the better sales and marketing companies on the planet, which is Coca-Cola. So, you know, I think, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This has been brilliant. So uh, before we go into the to the last section, some speed questions around sales, I'd like for you for a moment just to think, have you got the right sales system to get more referrals into your business? So Steve has articulated a lot of great questions you can ask here. I've also got some questions to help you decide whether you have got the right sales system or not. So you can go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash pulse. There's nine questions. It'll take you about three minutes to answer them. But the most important thing is then based on your answers, we can get on a call and actually help you set up a plan to close those gaps. It's not a sales call. It's you going through and self-identifying, which is a key thing that Steve has, you know, mentioned right through this podcast. So paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash pulse. 
uh, pulse. So, Steve, the last is where we speed it up a little, and I'm going to ask you some very specific questions around sales. Are you ready? Let's go. Yeah, so what are some of the sales habits that make you personally successful? I think one of the, the best sales habits that I've kind of gotten into is always asking customers for referrals. It's where, it's where the majority of our business comes from. And I think that if, in fact, you're not asking customers for referrals, uh, you're missing out. Because if, in fact, you're helping your customers succeed, they want to share that. So give them the opportunity to share that. Brilliant. The next is what technology helps you to accelerate your sales? There's three technologies that I open up every day when I, when I come into my office. Number one is my Google Suite. That's where my calendar and my, and my email are. So it, it's, it's, it's my calendar and my email system. Yeah. Number two, what I use is my CRM system. We use a system called SharpSpring. There's a bunch of them out there. But I have my CRM system open up. And number three, I open up is LinkedIn and Sales Navigator. But those are the three um, uh, technologies I use every day. They're opened up the moment I, I come in my door. And it's how I start my day. My CRM system tells me um, who I need to prospect next, who, who's follow, who do I need to follow up on. So I, I live inside my CRM system quite regularly. My calendar simply has the to-do things that I need to do, the meetings and those kinds of things I have. And uh, obviously, my email system is kind of linked to my CRM system. So having those two things open is maybe redundant in some sense. Some sense. But those are, the, those are the technologies that I use. Yeah, well, look, you've got enormous uh, sales knowledge. but what is some of the best sources for you to gain more knowledge about sales and how to accelerate sales? Yeah, I, I, I like reading a lot and watching videos. I like reading a lot of white papers. Um, you know, there's a lot of research that comes out from, from Gardner and from McKinsey and from, H, uh, and from Harvard Business Review uh, and even my competitors. And um, I think that, you know, though there is nothing new in sales, uh, in terms of what do you need to do to be successful? The stuff I've talked about here today is the same stuff that's been that top performers have been doing for, for decades. Yes. But there's an old saying that says, the old is forever new. And you need to find a way to bring those things into your daily world, your daily routine, your habits, so that you can do it. And honestly, I mean, I, fa- I find myself even kind of getting, getting lazy and not doing the things that top performers do. And so sometimes reading a white paper, watching a TED Talk, uh, watching a, some other YouTube video, listening to podcasts um, are also very good. Here's a plug for you, Paul. Listen to this podcast, not just <laughs> mine, but listen to, listen to Paul's podcasts. I listen to a number of them. And I tell you, they are very useful because it kind of knocks the rust off of you going, man, I've, I've kind of gotten out of that a little bit. I need to get back to that. But those are the things that I do to make sure that I stay sharp. Yeah, and look, I I think just quickly on podcasts, you know, you think of it, you can get 30 years worth of experience in, you know, like this may be a 30, 35-minute podcast, listen at two times speed. In 15 minutes, you've got someone's experience of 30 years. Like it's never been a better time to to get into podcasting. But the last question is a really important one. So what is something that we can all take away from this podcast that can help us 10x our sales. You know, I think that if you, if one thing you can take away from this podcast is to probably to ask more than you tell and listen more than you speak. And I think that that is a fundamental missed opportunity for most salespeople. 
uh, and even frankly for sales managers. I'd even say even for husbands and <laughs> like myself, ask more than you <laughs> ask more than you speak. Um, so I think that it's really important that we we know what questions to ask, and not just ask the customer, but ask ourselves. Yeah. What do we know about this opportunity? What is the decision criteria? You know, you know, who are the key influencers? What's my strategy to neutralize my adversaries? We need to ask more. We need to start thinking more critically. And so that if we can ask more than we tell, and we can listen more than we speak. I think that that's one thing that people can walk away with from this podcast. I yeah, think that I think, uh, you can raise the bar there a little bit. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, the great thing now is that for introverts and non people that would define themselves as a non-salesperson, it's actually the best time in the world to sell because, like, there is lots of information yeah. you can collect and you can ask lots of questions, which isn't always, well, wasn't always the case. Sometimes the loudest person in the room is considered the best salesperson. These days, that's shifted, and the client's doing a lot more information gathering of you as well before they come into the to the scenario. So I totally agree. So some people say, I just don't like selling. I say, hell, you do it all the time. You do it with your clients every day, right? All you got to do is just take the exact same skill to someone who's not a client, right? But you've got that in, uh, innate ability. It's just, you know, this word sales sometimes gets us uh, a little confused. But look, it's been wonderful having you on the show. And as always, you're going to give more rich uh, insor- insights to people. So you people Thank can you. go to ignitesellingcom forward slash resources. And Steve and the team have got some amazing content. So thanks for being on today, Steve. And thanks for really getting us to listen more and uh, talk less in our sales. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you taking the time with me, Paul. It's been a joy working with you today, and I I look forward to working with you again in the future. Brilliant. So thanks, Steve. You're welcome. Bye-bye now. I really loved that interview with Steve, and I think, you know, often we do talk more than we listen, but I think it was the way that he talked about constructing the information, but most importantly, what do you do with it? And he gave a great example there of how you could progress the information within a call. And 3% of people are ready to buy from you at any given point. So how do you collect the information so you're better prepared for their criteria in the future? So why not take your learnings and put them into action for you and your business, but why don't you also let Steve know? He would love for you to take a shot of this podcast and just mention him in your socials and thanking him for the value that he's giving you here today. There is the notes and the transcription that you can get, which is fantastic. And why don't you be a sales hero to someone else and share this with them? Also, if you want a sales system to help you grow more referrals, as I said in the podcast, just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash pulse to fill that out. Please check out solo shows as well, where I really dive into deep topics for you know five to 10 minutes that you can get. And finally, please take action to accelerate your sales. I'm fired up after today's episode. What about you? But hey, before you go, learning is just one piece of the puzzle. Now it's time to put today's strategy into action. Head over now to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast and share how you'll put it into action. Be sure to head over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Tell me what your favorite episode is. And don't wait one minute more to gain access to your pulse check at paulhigginsmentoring.com. This could be the difference between struggling to get more leads and making this next quarter your best one yet.